Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Tom Goldenberg. He's the CTO and co-founder at Command Div. Tom, welcome to the show. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. You have kind of a an interesting background and kind of your, you know, you write heavily kind of online and you publish a bunch of stuff and you were actually voted one of the LinkedIn top voices of uh, 2016, um, number eight in, in tech. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a huge accomplishment. I, I don't think people maybe necessarily realize that, but, but congrats on that. But maybe before we kind of dive into exactly what you're doing now, let's get to know you a mm -hmm. little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. Uh, originally from the New Haven, Connecticut area. Um, okay. Didn't go to Yale, but, uh, you know, grew up in that area. Sure. And uh, I never really was the kind of stereotypical, you know, programmer or, or, or you know, computer wizard. Sure. Um, I was really into music, actually, and uh, I studied music, um, you know, most of my high school and college career. Okay. Um, so that's kind of like my, how I grew up. And... Interestingly enough, after about two and a half years of college, I decided to basically drop out sure. and I wanted to do humanitarian work in India. So I, I lived there for nine years, wow. uh, studied some of the languages there, ended up becoming a, a Sanskrit teacher at a university there Okay. and uh, came back after nine years, totally unprepared for life back in the States. Uh, you sure? That's a long time I, to be away. Yeah, yeah. So there's the culture shock, and then there's also, um, you know, I had never completed my my bachelor's degree. Sure. And I had all this experience that was like heavily, just very special in the area that there's not a lot of demand for. Okay. Um, and so I, you know, I applied to some of the PhD programs in South Asian studies, didn't get in, and uh, it's kind of left in the situation of like, well, what's next? Okay. And and somehow that brought me to coding and uh, technology. Sure. No, that's that's interesting in, to me. And I, I think, at least in my experience, I've been in kind of the tech industry for over 20 years now. And I think a lot of kind of designers, developers, kind of a lot of people in tech either kind of grew up playing music or heavily right. listen to music and still heavily listen to music, right? And it's, it's yeah. funny how that kind of there's a lot of kind of maybe similarities between I, I think in some ways kind of doing a startup to like playing in a band and trying to get like signed and making it big is, is almost a similar right. road to kind of, you know, trying to be on the top of the charts compared to like being a successful startup. I, I think they're both kind of a long struggle in a road or they can be anyway. And so it, it's interesting to me mm -hmm. that you have that kind of background, but, but I'm kind of curious to know about some of your kind of the boot camp and the accelerator mm -hmm. kind of stuff that you're involved in. So maybe do you want to walk me and the listener through kind of both of those? Sure. So like I like I said, I came back to the U.S. I was kind of unsure of what I wanted to do next. And uh, I started working for a nonprofit in the city uh, close to the United Nations. And it's funny, there was a data scientist there. And he was leaving the post and they were looking for someone to fill his role. 
And someone as a joke had said, well, you know, you should do that, you know, um, because I was an intern at the time. Right. And I thought about it. And, and my, uh, my now my wife, who was uh, my girlfriend at the time, said, uh, you're really good with languages. Coding is just another language. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, sure. And, and uh, you know, so I talked to the, the data scientist. He gave me some resources. I went through the uh, Harvard has an online course, CS50, which was really phenomenal um, and kind of brought me into that world. And and then I, you know, started researching into these coding boot camps. Okay. And I figured, you know, I could, you know, either go for another bachelor's degree or try to get an advanced degree in computer science, or I could do one of these programs less than a year yep. and just kind of do how I've, I've done in the past, you know, whether it's learning music, like you said, or learning foreign languages, which I've had um, a ton of experience in, you know, as a teaching a foreign language. And um, I, I'm fluent in at least four foreign languages. Wow. So that's, that's kind of the, the approach that I took to it. I, I did some of the research, ended up going to Dev Boot Camp, uh, one, of, one of the several boot camps in New York City. Okay. And, um, Why, why'd and you yeah, pick that I one did, out of curiosity? Yeah, so I, I visited a couple of the programs. Um, full disclosure, I, I did try to get into App Academy. I was not accepted. Okay. Um, I got into the very final round. And then they said, well, we had a pass. And I said, well, when can I apply again? And they said, we don't allow people to do that. You get one shot. So oh. I thought that was weird. That is weird. Um, and then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but, but I visited that boot camp. I talked to the instructors. I talked to some of the students. That I, I did feel at the time they had kind of a holistic approach to it. They, um, you know, they made sure that people worked in teams and groups. There's a capstone project, which is kind of like a mini startup, where you have a whole week, week and a half to come up with an original idea and work with a team. Um, they had, you know, like, you know, yo free yoga class, you know, yoga classes built into the curriculum. It, it was just a, a nice curriculum that I liked. Sure. And, um, and so that's eventually why I went with that one. Uh, it worked out well. Uh, no, that's that's great, man, and I I love the honesty about you know applying and not getting in for what for whatever reason. I, I think that's interesting, and I also think though that it's important to stress how much. Like I've known a lot of people that have been super successful with and without a university degree, and I know there's kind of like you can right. t to argue it, and I don't really care what people yeah. kind of have as a background in education. I think that's it's kind of what they can do, right? There's a lot of people, there's a right. lot of people I've worked with that, you know, have a degree and a lot of people that don't. And, you know, in, in some ways, like there's pros and cons to both and we don't really need to get into it. But I think that I just kind of want to stress how you can do it either way, really, is what I'm trying to get across, right? And I, I think that's I mean, kind of, yeah. what, no, go ahead. For, for me, the big thing is, you know, this idea that we live in a meritocracy. Yeah. And, it, it, it's not, I mean, I know that, but the, I think the closest field right now is in technology where um, you might not have the credentials, but if you can, you know, contribute on GitHub or, you know, build, spin up uh, your own side project, there's ways of proving your worth other than a degree. Whereas Absolutely. what I found when I was in the international relations community, 
I, you know, I, I had ideas. I wanted to write. I wanted to publish things. And the answers I got back were, you don't have a master's degree in that. So you can't even get your foot in the door. Yep. Um, so that is, that is really a beautiful thing about tech, which is it's measurable. But, you know, the th- your value as an employee is measurable by things other than what school you went to or what degree you have. And, you know, I, I'm not going to, of course, those things are valuable as well, but there, there are other ways to show that you have value. Uh, and that's something that I definitely appreciate in this industry. No, I, I think that's, that's really good advice, actually, right? Because I think you, at least I've had in my experience where people kind of come up to you and ask you, and it's kind of a loaded question a little bit, right? Because it's kind of mm-hmm. like the answer is like, well, it doesn't really matter. Like you can both ways aren't exactly, you know, easy and they can, you need to do different things based on which path you take. Right. So I, I think that's good mm-hmm. to talk to somebody like yourself. That's, that's done, done it that way and is willing to openly talk about it. But I'm curious to know, you actually worked in the industry for, for a couple years before you actually decided to found your own company or co-found, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so right. You don't have to name necessarily the company, but you 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 got through the boot camp, you got through, mm-hmm. uh, you started actually working in the industry. What kind of stuff did you end up doing once you got out of the boot camp? Right. So I was definitely extremely fortunate. I I definitely had to hustle to get that first job, and I think whether you're coming out of university or not, like that's always going to be the proving ground. Okay. You know you you're going to have to compromise. You're going to have to really go out of your way to, to get that first job. And that took me a while. It took me a couple months. Um, and so I started as a contractor for a couple, a uh, couple companies actually. Okay. And, uh, finally after two gigs, I landed on a kind of part-time to full-time role at a company called Agolo. Uh, I ended up being there for over a year and a half. Um, one of the greatest experiences, um, nice. working for a startup, and, and I, I would say to anyone that's interested in entrepreneurship, you know, yes, the Googles and the Microsofts of the world are great, but you're going to learn a lot quicker at a startup. 100% that's, agree. that's my opinion. Yeah, no, I 100% um, agree with you. And, and you know, there, there are different sides of it, right? Like at an Amazon or a Google, you're going to get the, like, the organizational skills, right? Like you're yeah. going to see how things are built at scale. But you're not going to get um, – access to a lot of the open source stuff because a lot of these companies have proprietary technology yeah. and you're, you're not going to have as wide of a range of experiences. Yep. And when I was at Agolo, I had, I had that really huge breadth of experience from, you know, working with the database design to, you know, a machine learning pipeline. Um, we had natural language processing um, engineers we, you know, I was developing the website, you know, full stack, uh, working with designers, UX experience. So I really got the full suite of skills that I'm using now as a CTO. Sure. No, I, I think that's, yes. that's great, man. I, I love that. And I, I, to your point, I think like I've kind of worked at startups. I've worked kind of at big companies. I've worked you know, at the university here. I've kind of worked in marketing agencies. I've worked at software companies. and. You're right. Like I learned the absolute most working at a startup, right? And yeah, it, it, so it's interesting. So, so I'm curious though. 
what made you decide to kind of co-found Commandiv and what exactly is it? Sure. Um, so first of all, I've always had the kind of like entrepreneurial bug. I think um, in, in the other benefit of startups, if we want to get into kind of the legal area, is sure. you know when you work when you sign for a larger company, you basically sign a right sign away all of your IP, right? So any side project is very hard to do. But at a startup, they're they're more likely to compromise with you, and so that's what I did throughout my pre-startup founder career was to say, hey, I'm, I'm working the 40, 50 hours a week. On the weekend, I have these side projects. Is that okay? It's non-competitive. Sure. And everyone that I worked with was totally fine with that. So I, I always had something on the side that I was working on, um, whether it was a mobile app or tutorial or, or something else like that. Now, what I'm doing now and how I decided to get there, um, my co-founder, John Zettler, he had been working on this idea of um, – basically bringing kind of like tools for the self-directed investor, basically someone who's on like Robinhood or E-Trade, sure. but wants advice as well. Okay. Um, and, and so like what he saw was that there's kind of two extremes, which is like self-directed is completely do it yourself where you have like a Robinhood or you have an E-Trade. Yeah. And then you have these other things which are just set and forget. You know, you have like the Betterment or the, you know, any kind of, Usually, financial advisors will just put your money into mutual funds or uh, Wealthfront, any of this stuff. There's not really a lot of customization or hands-on tools for you to use. Um, and, and so that's what we set out to do. We set out to um, basically you know, add the, the zero commission cost structure for trading with automated trade suggestions. Uh, and it's all based on kind of you know, modern portfolio theory of having a diversified asset classes. Um, and you know, he approached me with this idea and I talked to him and I said, I love the idea. Uh, I'm not sure that I can quit my job because, you know, I, I just found out that we were having a baby, me and my wife. Sure. Congratulations. And, um, so I, thank you. So I <laughs> talked with my wife, the three of us talked, we said, okay, this is what we can do. If, 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 if the idea is able to get into a, a startup accelerator, then it would be kind of a proof of concept. And then that would give me the impetus to go full time on it. Interesting. That, and uh, and that's exactly what happened. Two days after I said that, yeah. and I talked it over with my wife, and I got back to him. He called me on the phone on uh, December twenty third, two days before Christmas. Said, "Hey, we got in." That's awesome. And uh, and so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's um, that's how that started. We just finished that accelerator uh, a couple weeks ago down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Nice. And it has just been an amazing journey. You know, I've, I've been, I've been doing this whole time for about six months now and we've gotten so much help, um, from, you know, the, the, the FinTech community down in Charlotte in New York city. And it's just really exciting. Um, so I hope that gives kind of an answer of what we're trying to do. There's, there's, there's a lot of plans that we have for the future, but, um, you know, basically bringing really sophisticated, tools to individual investors is what we're trying to do. Sure. So before we kind of dive a bit deeper into the product, I'm, I'm curious, I'm always curious to know how people met their co-founders. Yeah. 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 So, um, it, it actually happened. I have a friend, I'm, I'm actually going to meet him for coffee today, Scott Howard, nice. and he's a Georgetown alum. Okay. And we had met through a, a Ruby meetup and, you know, he, 
is mostly kind of consulting work and has run some accelerators, but he's also learning Ruby. So we met and we've been friends for quite a while, for several years. And, you know, we would grab lunch, uh, you know, every couple of weeks and we'd, you know, talk about stuff that's going on. And he had mentioned this, his friend, John, who he was friends through, through the Georgetown network, um, was looking for someone to work with him on this project. And I actually wasn't interested at this time, but I was like, oh, sure, I'll go meet him and, and see what it's like. And, uh, and so that's, that's how I ended up meeting John. And, you know, I, was, I planned on just meeting him for coffee for half an hour, and it turned into like a three and a half hour, like, brainstorming session. That's cool. Because man. I had so. What's that? That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I had a, I had just had a lot of questions. Like, I've, I've always been interested in investing myself. Um, you know, not to the level of, you know, like doing derivatives and stuff like that, but I've always been interested in it. And I just had a lot of questions. I thought the idea was very interesting. And so we were just kind of like really brainstorming. And, um, it, it, he, he actually was working with someone else at this time, uh, on the technology side. And for whatever reason that didn't work out with them. And so that's when we got back in touch and then, um, and then, you know, we, I was basically like, yeah, let's just try it out. No commitment and see if we like working with each other for, you know, a few weeks and then we can make a decision. Sure. And, um, and, you know, just kind of low commitment. And I really like the idea. I really like working together. And that's how it started. That's awesome, man. I, I love stories like that. I'm, I, I think they're also interesting because if you never would have went to that meetup, you guys, you might right. not have actually ever met, right? Right, right. So, and and that's such a, like, finding a partner is such a, there's so much trust involved. Yeah. And there's, like, there's just so much involved. Like, it, it, and I'm, I'm really glad that be prior to this, you know, these side projects, I worked with other people on them. And so I had some experience of like negotiating what is, what's kind of a fair structure for working together. Sure. Um, because that's one of the hardest things that people come against too. Yep. No, that's, yeah. that's fair. So is there any advice you could maybe give people that haven't been through it um, kind of quickly around that? Around uh, meeting a, a Well, a, just kind of negotiating kind of how to yeah. like – stock options sure. so or I, equity or however you work with that. Yeah. There's a really cool book uh, called Slicing Pie. Yeah. I read um, that. Very by, good book. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, this is what I recommend to everyone. I, you know, recommend to John when we started talking and like the, the main thing is like you, you're going to be working together. Like both of you have to feel that you're in a fair arrangement, totally. you know? And, and so it's like, we didn't use Slicing Pie, but that's kind of been the basis for a lot of the way, uh, the way that I think about um, these kind of structures. Sure. So I that that's just a short answer. I would just check that out. No, I I think that's that's actually really good advice. And you just kind of take stuff from, you know, different sources and and then figure out what works for you. At least that's what's kind of worked for me, right? And it sounds like that's kind of yeah. similar to you. So let's dive a bit deeper into the actual platform. So. I, I know mm -hmm. right now you guys are in a little bit of a, a closed kind of rollout. People can sign up to get early access. Um, you guys are launching yep. kind of to the public in shortly. Mm -hmm. 
but kind of walk yeah. me through from kind of creating an account to actually mm-hmm. starting to, you know, use the platform. Sure. So the, the kind of like the onboarding process is, is similar to most uh, investment companies. You know, we ask your information and we ask some risk portfolio questions. So for example, you know, what, what type of risk tolerance do you have? Um, you know, ask some kind of hypothetical situation questions. Okay. And based off of that, we assign a target portfolio. So if you think of it like a pie chart, you know, your target portfolio might have, you know, 70% U.S. equity, maybe, you know, 10% uh, municipal bonds, maybe, you know, 20% foreign developed market, 10% foreign emerging market. And so that's, we, we assign that based on your age, your employment status, your, all these questions that we ask. Mm-hmm. But the thing that differentiates us from, you know, like a, a wealth run or something like that is that you can actually go in there and make all these kind of tweaks. So if you feel like 70% is too much or too little, you can tweak it by the percentage. You can determine in U.S. equities which sectors you want to have specific allocations for. Right. And so all this is building this pie chart, which is your, like, your target portfolio. And so, you know, we're going to look at that and we look at your, you know, what equities you already have, and then we're going to make recommendations so that you're coming closer and closer towards that target portfolio. And, you know, if, if one goes up and one goes down, we're going to try to rebalance so that you're constantly hovering close to that. Um, so that's the, the product, like, as it stands right now. And uh, like you said, like, people can sign up. We're kind of onboarding users, um, kind of using, like, the white glove treatment for now while we enhance the product and prepare it for public launch. And what we're working on um, in the future is taking some strategies, for example, downside protection. You can take that entire portfolio that you have and say that you want it protected 90%, 95%. And we will do the kind of algorithmic trading of derivatives to ensure that you're guaranteed that amount of your investment. Gotcha. Um, so that's what we're working on as kind of phase two. Phase one is already completed, the kind of target portfolio and rebalancing, and we're onboarding users right now. Okay. No, I, I think that makes sense how you guys are kind of doing doing the rollout. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, I, I think it makes a lot of sense because you want to make sure, you know, and, and kind of have that constant kind of customer touch. And, and, you know, people feel like they're actually kind of helping you build the product too when you kind of right. onboard them a little bit personally. And kind of it's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit kind of close, not close, close is the wrong word, but kind of you just kind of slowly bring people on instead of just saying, you know, here, and then you right. get like a rush of traffic and you're like, Oh no, we can't handle this right out of the gate. So I, yeah, I, think it makes I a mean, we, I mean, the other thing is like, it's, it's not a, you know, a social media app, right? It's, mm-hmm. We're dealing with people's money. And so we want to ensure that the quality is like superb. Sure. Um, and so that's, that, that's why each, each batch of users that we get, we get so much feedback. And we're moving so fast and making improvements to everything. So um, it's definitely an exciting process. It took us, I want to say, three to four months to go live in that way. Because in finance, there's just a lot of regulatory um, issues and compliance stuff that you have to address. Um, So we we were very lucky to have 
one in the accelerator we went to, we had free legal aid. We nice. had um, a lot of compliance help as well. So that's been really helpful. And and we're now we're we've gone through the process with the SEC and we actually brought on a chief compliance officer to help deal with those issues. Nice. No, that's that's awesome. So I'm curious, how did you guys kind of fund this or continually fund this? Did you get some money from the accelerator mm-hmm. or how are you guys kind of funding this right now? Right. So, up to, yeah, uh, without going to like super specifics, we sure. we raised a kind of friends and family round. Nice. Um, and then we got some money from the accelerator program. Okay. And, you know, that is enough for us to kind of validate our thesis, you know, and mm-hmm. test with users. And then we feel that once we have that substantial user data that people are saying like, hey, like we really like this, we can show that people are investing in the platform and, and using it, then we'll be able to uh, raise our seed round in the fall, which is what we're aiming for. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, so I'm curious then, how big is your team right now? Yeah, we're pretty lean. Um, so, no, I, I think that's so great. So I, yeah. So my co-founder John, he handles all the the business operations. He's the CEO. Okay. Um, he um, does a lot of all of the a lot of the research on the financial end um, of you know these strategies and how they're going to work in allocations and picking the the best in class ETFs for each strategy. Um, I handle at this point all the technical side. So. Um, and you know, whether it's working on the website or the database or, uh, any of these kind of integrations, we are bringing on a associate software engineer in August, which is very exciting. That's awesome. And we, you know, we also have a, a compliance officer. Sure. And we, the other stuff, for example, onboarding, I'm not really a great design guy. So we work with, uh, a design contractor. It's been really wonderful for us. And, uh, yeah, at this point, we, you know, we we feel that we, you know, have enough to kind of get out there and, and test, like I said, like test the product with users, and then we want to expand the team as soon as we can. No, I, I love so. that. I, I think that makes that makes a lot of sense, kind of how you guys are doing it. But I'm, I'm curious to know, you guys kind of, um, you write a lot about using React, um, React mm-hmm. Native. Um, I'm curious to know, your experience with that and, and why you guys decided to choose that. Sure. Maybe um, actually ba- so this, ba- before that, maybe yeah. give an overview of what React is for people that don't know. Sure. So um, Facebook uh, released React. It's basically a JavaScript library that kind of helps to organize user interactions and interfaces. Okay. Um, and it you started for the web. Um, you know, so to, instead of kind of a clunky spaghetti mess of JavaScript code, kind of a, have a well-structured or, uh, uh, components, they call them, which decide like if you press this button or you type in this input, these are the ways that we're going to interact with the user. Right. So it's been, I, I just feel that it's very intuitive, um, very easy to use. And, uh, I was, you know, immediately attracted to it when I was first learned to program. Now... Since then, React has people are like, "Hey, we like we like this, so we want to use this in our other um, platforms." So then, you know, Facebook released React Native, which is for mobile devices, iOS and Android. Right. 
And uh, I hear there's also a React VR out. I haven't used it. Yeah, um, but it's, it's pretty it, new, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 become it went from being kind of a like a a small thing when I was first learning it. Like at the time when I was learning programming, Angular was much more popular. Sure. Um, but for whatever reasons, it's, this I just felt more comfortable using this, and now it's just um, it's just ubiquitous. So um, I, one of my first jobs was, and this was before React Native was very popular, was. Um, as a React Native developer for a, a, a mobile app. And um, I realized that in New York City, there wasn't a lot of resources for this technology. So I ended up founding with two other members, Harry and Nick, the, the first React Native meetup in New York City. Nice. And it's gone. We've, we've had sponsors from American Express to Oscar Health to Delivery.com and Priceline. So all these large companies now are really interested in the technology and how they can use it. Sure. No, I, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. And I've done kind of some mobile app dev stuff um, in the past. Mm. And it it's, can be tricky to build, use one code base to build for multiple platforms. And so I'm curious right. to know, what have you learned at, that you can kind of give people advice about kind of using that? Because... People, mm -hmm. For the most part, people expect a different experience between Android and iOS. I know sure. Google has kind of their material design, and if you use any of their apps kind of on Android mm -hmm. and then go to iOS, they're pretty similar. There's a, there's subtle differences, but I think the average person won't right. really notice a huge difference. But how have right. you kind of noticed or, or what kind of advice can you give people um, when they're thinking about using something like React Native kind of to build these mobile apps or even just React itself? Sure. Um, I mean, for, for React Native, what I normally tell people is, you know, if you're, a, it's mainly in the case if you're a startup, right? Okay. If you're trying to, like we are, trying to prove an idea, trying to get it in the hands of users, a lot of times you're going to need both platforms. Right. And, you know, at that point, you know, you, I, I think it would be foolish not to heavily consider using something like React Native um, because at this point, the adoption is pretty broad. You have, I think, Airbnb is using it. Obviously, Facebook is using it in some of their apps. Yeah. And so, hey, if those guys can use it, I think you know your startup can too. Sure. People might disagree with me. Uh, <laughs> now, yeah. you know, if you're a larger company and you have more resources and you want an Android team and an iOS team, yeah, that I, I can definitely see use cases for that. Um, but they, I, I think the platform has evolved where it allows for customizing views and styles depending on which platform as well. Uh, so I definitely, you know, if, if you're in that position and definitely look at, take a good look at it and talk to people that are using it, that would, that would be my advice. Sure. Um, and then on the web, I would just say that React is, is become pretty standard by now. Um, there are a lot of positions in React and so it's, it's definitely worth knowing. No, sure. And I think yeah. the other thing, too, to your point is you can build with these kind of cross, like one code base that compiles the different native apps. And then eventually, if you're mm -hmm. like, you know what, we want to build a native Android or, and or iOS app, right. you can do that and just push the next update is just a native version instead of like a 
you know, one uh, mm-hmm. React app. So I think you're not limited to that. And I've seen kind of companies go back and forth between the two. So you can easily do that. And I, I think the thing to kind of stress again th- that you mentioned is being able to build fast and test these things fast, right? right? Build and, fast and that, yeah, the iteration cycle. Uh, the, the quicker you can get that, the better your company is going to be. Totally. And I, and I think, too, that maybe if people haven't built kind of an Android or iOS native app, like you can't really share any code. And in some cases, you right. can't even really share assets. And so, and by assets, I right. mean kind of like graphics and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so mm-hmm. it's a lot more work building two separate things in the thing. So I think if you haven't done it, you you should look at using something like React or other kind of, you know, one code base kind of frameworks. Um, I, I personally don't mind React. I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense, especially in a lot of cases. And so... Um, I, mm-hmm. I think it's great that you guys did that. I, I'm kind of curious to know, though, kind of back to the platform a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. How do you guys kind of decide where you're going kind of next? Are you taking in a lot of user feedback and saying, you know, we really want to develop this mm-hmm. feature? Or are you guys trying to stick a little bit yeah. to your kind of mission a little bit saying, no, we're going to keep going this direction or is it a bit of both or how do you mm-hmm. decide what to build next into the platform? Right. That's a great question. Um, it, I see to answer it, it's always a little bit of both, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, we, we started bringing on actual users about three weeks ago. Okay. And just that experience alone has shown us so much. Um, so, it, it's a game changer getting users on the system and validating the. And you know, we would have done it sooner, except uh, like I said, for compliance reasons, we have right. to go through all these processes. Sure. Um, so, but that that has been a big eye opener. But at the same time, you need your your vision too, and so you you can't just be reactive when it comes to user feedback. You really need to strategize what is going to be beneficial for all the users on your platform. Um, you know, what, you know, and, and you want to address as many edge cases as you can for long-term planning. Um, we, we talk to our users and, um, you know, we have a Slack channel where we're able to communicate with users and get their feedback. So yeah, talk to users, collect as much information as you possibly can, but also be willing to think outside of the box as far as what you should be building, um, as far as like large feature sets, that's, no, that's what I would say at this point. No, I, I think that's really good advice. And I love how you guys kind of launched pretty early on in, in your development to actually start getting users and getting their yeah. feedback. And to your point, I, I like how you guys are kind of, you know, just basically your every feature request that you will get in your startup, you can't build. Right, and if you do try to do that, you right. basically just right. end up chasing your tail. And so, I kind of like right. I, I like yeah. your advice around kind of a, it's a bit of both, right? Because you will get mm-hmm. a bunch at some point. Like there's a tipping point, and everybody kind of needs to decide where that tipping point is. Maybe it's ten requests, maybe it's twenty requests, maybe it's a hundred right. requests for that feature, and then you're like, well, maybe we should build this, or maybe we shouldn't build this, but. If right. it's just one-off requests, 
you will you mm-hmm. will go crazy trying to support all that. So I, I think that's really good advice to people that you guys are kind of a bit of both, right? Yeah, and it's a compromise. Like you also have to look at um, you know you have to estimate how long each one will take, right? Sure. So I'm the I'm the type of person I like to knock off a lot of the small things first. Yep. And uh, you know, and then bigger things it requires. If it's a small thing, then you don't really need to worry about it that much. You can just do it. But if it's a large feature request, then, you know, we we as a team need to meet and and really think about how that affects us going forward. Sure. Well, and those large features can take weeks or months of development, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, yep. I'm curious, though, to know um, how often are you guys pushing – code live to your users is it kind of a weekly thing is it uh, a couple times a month i I know it's pretty early on you've only Mm -hmm. been kind of live three weeks but how long have you guys kind of do you think you guys will be potentially pushing code or how often have you been pushing code right now oh it's it's definitely multiple times a day nice Uh, (laughs) no it's great man i mean that's yeah and we have you know we have kind of different environments set up so that we can um, test things on sandbox environment and production environment. And, um, you know, we're, we're using at this point, we're using Heroku for yep. our kind Love of Heroku. hosting. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I, I've worked with, you know, DigitalOcean and, you know, AWS and everything, but for us at this, at this scale, we just want the easiest solution possible. And, um, that, that has made it very easy to, to push updates and, and, and and move really fast without having to worry a lot about the DevOps side of things. No, th- that's actually a really interesting point because Dev- DevOps people it can be tricky to find in itself, right? And then obviously right. cost and right. blah blah blah, and like so. I, I think having a, a, a service that kind of handles that for you is is a huge kind of stress r- release or reliever, I should say. But but I'm curious to know mm-hmm. um, how are you guys pulling a lot of kind of analytics or metrics built into the software to actually kind of see what people are doing with the software? Because sometimes mm-hmm. what they tell you isn't necessarily what they're doing, <laughs> at least in my experience. Right. Yeah. Um, so for us, we, we, you know, Google Analytics is like, is number one. Sure. Um, just to cover your basis. And then we use, you know, one or two other third-party analytics vendors to kind of get more fine-tuned analytics data. Sure. Um, but for us, like at this stage, we're 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 really lucky that we are because we're taking in batches, you know, smaller batches at a time. We're actually able to get the the face-to-face feedback, which nice. is like, which is really great. So we're we're able to see both. I mean. Obviously, the biggest sign of people using it, it that that it being a good fit is that people are using it and they're putting their money in to invest in you know the the different products. So that's that's the main gauge that we use to determine um, our product success. And then you know narrowing down is you know user interviews and looking at those analytics. Sure. No, I I think that's that's great. But sadly, Tom, we're coming mm-hmm. to the end of the show. So let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and uh, Command Div. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
Um, so as for Commandive, you can visit our website at commandive.com, um, C-O-M-M-A-N-D-I-V. And as for myself, um, please, you know, connect on, on LinkedIn. I, I do write a lot on LinkedIn. As, as you mentioned, I was one of the top 10 writers in technology last year. Um, and then I'm also on Twitter at Tom Goldenberg. So please connect there. Um, I love, I, I, I love just kind of creating discussions around some of the things happening in tech. And so, um, I also organize a meetup called startup founder panel, um, where we talk, we take a topic every month or two and go really in depth on it. And so I've been doing those panel discussions and writing, um, on LinkedIn and Medium, so please check me out. Um, I'm Tom Goldenberg on all those platforms. Uh, the panel stuff, is is that in person, or are you guys posting any of that online or doing that live online? Yeah, so what we do is um, we, we audio record, and okay. then we put the audio on SoundCloud.com. So nice. if you just search for Startup Founder Panel on, on SoundCloud, you'll find kind of our latest uh, panels. We had one on seed round fundraising recently. Really great panel. Uh, we've done one on building culture at startups, nice. and we also did one on cybersecurity and startups. Um, cool. So those are available. I also usually take that content and use it to to write a blog post on the subject as well. Got you. Perfect, mm-hmm. Tom. Well, I really appreciate you taking the day out of, or the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and. I think we should probably do another one of these maybe later in the year to kind of see where you've come and mm. what you've kind of learned and, and what you've kept and changed from kind of the original platform. Absolutely. Uh, I would love to do that. This was a lot of fun. Perfect, man. Well, ha- you have a good rest of your day, and we'll talk soon. All right. Take okay. care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.